in all he does. You know what we're learning is we're learning all of that in the book of Ruth. Because as you guys know, the book of Ruth details Naomi's hard life. She was married to Elimelech, and Elimelech and Malon and Chilion and, and Naomi, they moved to Moab, listen, in a time where there was difficulty and famine. Listen, so they, they compromised. When they should have stuck and stayed and made it pay. They should have went to their knees daily. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We're in trouble. There's a famine in Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread and the place of praise. But instead of praying, and we've all done this, instead of staying, and we've all been there, they decided to make it easier on themselves. And they moved to a different town, a different city where there was no churches meeting together. There was no youth groups. There was no places. There was pagan idolatry and chaos. And I don't know how, but somehow Malon and Chilion and Elimelech all died. And Naomi stayed there for 10 years. 10 biblically is the number of judgment. Maybe that was the time that she needed to stay to listen before the Lord started to move in her life. Before the Lord started to say, hey, there's a revival going on in Bethlehem, Judah. Should have just stayed there, but I'm going to forgive you. You are forgiven. So go back and do the next right thing. And she came back and she brought Ruth with her. Ruth said, I'm not leaving you, mom. I'm going with you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What? All of a sudden, Ruth becomes a believer and God noted it. Let me just give you a couple of principles that are so important. Okay, God does two things. He does and will restore that which has fallen apart, that which needs redeemed, that which needs healing. Maybe you're like Naomi here this morning. Ugh, I'm so hurt. I'm so, remember when she got back to Bethlehem, all her buddies were like, Naomi's back. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Myra. Remember, she was like Marge Simpson's sister. She was all messed up. She said, I was pleasant, but now I'm bitter. Now I'm bitter. You know, whoa, Naomi, tell us how you really feel. And God had a plan for her. God had a plan. Let me tell you this. If you're broken and bitter and messed up right now, okay, you need to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. You need to go back to the house of bread. Bread speaks of the word of God. You need to go back to the place of praise where you're walking with him. And God will and does and can restore those things that are broken and battered and messed up. But not only will he do that, but listen, God will also honor your faithfulness. Ruth, well, Ruthie, Ruth, the Moabitess, Ruth was there too. And she had a couple choices to make. You know what she did? She did the next right thing. She said, I'm going all in. I'm going to serve you, mom. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to, and God began to see, listen, her, this is so important, especially for you who are living right now in a chaotic time. God saw her faithfulness in national faithlessness. You all like to talk about the national faithlessness. I don't personally, but I know people like to talk about it. Like, let's talk about the things and let's talk about the stuff and it's all crazy, blah, blah, blah. Let somebody else talk about it. What we need to do is find ourselves being faithful in the little things. And God noticed Ruth when he was, when she was faithful and he began to then turn the tide and change the times for her. I like this saying, you've heard me say it before. You can write it down and consider it. Without him, I can't. Without me, he, without him, I, without me, he, okay, without me, he won't. Without him, I can't. There are situations in your life that are just too stinking big. You can't do it without him. You're, you're, you're messed up. Your kids are messed up. Your marriage is messed up. The finances are messed up. This is bad. Naomi was messed up. It's too big. Too, too big for God? Well, no, not, not, not that big. 
I counsel with people from time to time. Their situations are big, you know, real big. And after I find a tender spot, I'll say, is it too big for God? And usually they'll confess. Well, of course not. Oh, oh, okay. Well, then if it's without him, I can't. We, we need him for sure. But without me, he won't. Then the tension we live in is so big. Nothing can fix it except God. But also the Lord is so intimately aware of you and I. He's going to respond to our actions or inactions. Sometimes we can just sit back and say, it's too much. I don't know what to do. The Lord says, hey, look, it's too big. You can't do anything. But it's not too little that you shouldn't do anything. You understand the tension here? Ruth did the next right thing. She stuck with her mom. She woke up the next day and says, hey, I, I realize here there's a workfare system. I can go glean in the fields. I can go work just so we don't die. Uh, go ahead, daughter. Do whatever you want. Naomi was so stuck. Ruth's like, I don't even know where to go. I'm not from here, but I'll do it. And she began to glean in the fields. And chapter two told us that while she gleaned in the field, that she just happened to come across Boaz's field. And Boaz showed up one day. He's like, how's everyone doing? The Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you. Ha, ha, ha. And then Boaz looked across the field and said, whoa, la, la. Who's this gal? Where'd she come from? And they said, ooh, that's the Moabitess woman that came back with Naomi. And they told him her whole story. And he was intrigued. Wow. She left everything to care for her. And mom's too old to glean in the field herself. So she's gleaning this foreigner for her mom. Ooh, what a virtuous woman. What a good gal she is. Hey, guys, don't mess with her. Leave her alone. Protect her. Hey, girls, carry her with you and drop some big handfuls of barley. Make sure she gets super blessed. The Bible says in the King James, make sure she has handfuls of purpose given to her. It's a perfect picture of our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Boaz. We're like Ruth, the Moabitess foreigner who's been cursed, and yet God sees us and has compassion on us and then provides everything for us. That's what this whole story is about. And I hope you're drinking it in and applying it to your own life. And as we study chapter three and chapter four next week, apparently, Oh, I believe the Lord wants you to respond like Ruth. But listen, because you might feel a little bit like Naomi this morning. Man, life just didn't go well for me. Yeah, I might have made some mistakes along the way. I, I don't want to connect all my mistakes to the th things I'm dealing with now. But be that as it may, it's not good. Call me Mara. I'm a little bitter in this area. You might feel that way. Well, what are you going to do? Do you need God? I desperately do. Well, let's be like Ruth then. Let's glean. Let's just go see what can happen. Let's try it. Are you, how bad is it for you? How done are you? Are you so, so done that God can't raise you from the dead like he did Lazarus? The answer is no. Jesus on purpose allowed Lazarus to die, die. He didn't just get sick, he died, died. In order that Jesus would demonstrate his power over death and sin and faithlessness. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. What do you need raised from the dead right now? Oh, yet the Lord responds just as Boaz did. To Ruth. And as we consider these principles and take them into our own lives, I believe the Lord wants to bless us. I've already prayed, but let's read now five verses in chapter three. Now, things are cooking along. As I read this, I want you to just note with me and I'll try and extract a little more. Naomi is already a changed woman. She's already got a new bounce to her step. She's already been given hope in her heart. Look at what she does. Verse one, 
It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, go to Boaz, or verse two. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he's winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Verse three, therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Ooh, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies down. And you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Look at verse 5. And she, that is Ruth, said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Stop right there, eyes up here. Now, because it's 2024 and you're Americans, you guys are thinking this is about to get rated R. Okay, it's not. This is all PG. This is all Old Testament. This is all Judaism. This is all exactly how it's supposed to be. This is not going to get NC-17 as she sneaks into his room after hours and, you know, does all the... This is exactly, and I'll extract this in a minute, how it's supposed to be with a kinsman redeemer. That is with somebody in your family that was related to your dead husband that can now come back and redeem you. There was a proper and a right way to approach the kinsman redeemer. Ruth didn't know these these customs. She didn't know these rituals. Naomi said, okay, when you do this, you got to do it exactly the right way. Anoint yourself, wash yourself, dress yourself, and then watch where he lays down and at night go in after he's asleep and lay down at the foot of his bed. And when he wakes up, you're going to say exactly what I tell you to say. And what did Ruth respond and say? I'll do it. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Because she's a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Which by the way, I hope we get to verse five. It seems like we're not going to today. She's a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Can I just say that while I'm thinking about it? Oftentimes, the will of God escapes us in our lives because we're not willing to obey the word of God. I don't want to do what he says. And then you wonder, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And up in heaven, God's like, well, I wasn't going to tell you what to do because you weren't going to listen to me anyways. Lord, tell me what to do. And he's like, you won't listen to me anyways. I already giving you my word. You're already breaking the rules and doing your own thing. The key to unlocking the will of God in our lives. And right now, oh, I hope that's a burden of your soul. Lord, what's, what do you want me to do? Lord, give me wisdom for the day. Give me direction for the moment. Lord, what am I supposed to do? I believe the key to unlocking the will of God is obeying the word of God. Let that just cook down a little bit. Because we're all kind of wondering, Lord, should I buy this house? Should I marry that person? Should I take this job? None of those questions are going to be a sweat whatsoever if you're dialed into the word of God, that is his pneuma, his rhema, the Holy Spirit, his logos, the word of God, you're going to know exactly what to do because you know God's word. She heard it. She's like, I got some questions, Naomi. Bomb will go ahead and do whatever you said. Now, let's go back to verse one because this is a banner verse. It says that Naomi all of a sudden grabs the reins. She's like, daughter, don't you know that I have to make tribute for you? Don't you know that I'm going to take care of you? Here's what you got to do. And she begins to run the show. This is Naomi who just a few verses later, call me Mara. I don't want to be part of the party. I don't want to play. I don't want to have any friends. That's her who she is. And now she's a changed individual. How? She had heard that there was a man named Boaz going to field and who had showed favor to Ruth. It was good news. That's all it was. It's just good news. Just good news. Nothing had happened yet. You realize that nothing had happened at all, but the good news was flowing. We in the New Testament call it the gospel, the good news of our Boaz, 
of our Redeemer, who's had favor on us and who has an eye toward us. And it's the God, did you know that when a sinner, a bitter, broken individual hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, their lives are changed from the inside out. The Bible calls it born again, where you're regenerated, where you're made new through a simple declaration of what God has already done. It's the good news. It's not good advice. Don't you love good advice? Your life's falling apart. Well, you just need to do some better stuff. You know, say, I got 10 things you should do and 10 things you should never do again. I got some good advice. I don't need good advice. If you want good advice, you can go to oprahwinfrey.com, you know, get some great advice. That's not true. Anyways, <laughs> you know what I meant? You know what I mean? I need good news. I, I need to know I'm going to be taken care of. And all of a sudden, Naomi flips her script and everything changes for her. And she begins to serve now Ruth and give instruction to others. Can I just say this to you? You who have heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should be, it will be, it ought to be, it's going to be evidenced in your life by the way you serve others. If you've been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to be washing feet. You're going to be helping people cross the road. You're going to be telling people where church is at. You're going to be different because the gospel set you free. Naomi was a different person just one chapter earlier. Shut down, bitter, done. I say that as an encouragement to those of you who act and look and believe like you're saved. And I say it as a challenge for some of you who say you're saved, but none of us can tell. Sometimes we need to tell our face what we believe. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you, are you saved? Yeah. Are you forgiven? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you going to heaven when you die? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wait, we need to tell your face because your face doesn't know what happened in your heart. <laughs> Am I? Am I right or am I right? (laughs) Because what God has done for our hearts and in our lives changes the way we now act and serve. I read a devotional this morning by Paul Tripp. It was about 5.30 this morning. And Paul Tripp, I was tripping out with Paul Tripp. Have you taken a trip with Paul Tripp? Anyways, Paul Tripp, get the devotional. And he talked about being spiritual amnesiacs. And we just forget that heaven is next. And when you and I forget that heaven is next, like it's literally on the doorstep, for some of you especially, it's right, right there. When we forget that, man, we get all weirded out by life. We get all upside down. We get all distracted and detoured and flustered. But when we realize, I'm going to heaven. And I'm not messing with you guys. You know that people ask me, hey, Pastor Luke, how are you doing? I said, I'm perfect. And I love getting asked that question because sometimes I'm acting imperfect. I forget. I get all flustered and I get frustrated too. And someone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, thanks for asking. I'm doing great because I'm going to heaven. Nothing can stop me, neither height nor depth nor width or any other creative thing. And it's just the truth. I'm still fighting battles. I still got all kinds of things to deal with. So to Naomi, she didn't get her husband back. She didn't get her sons back. She was devastated. She was broken. She had lost things. But God can restore, can heal, and can deliver. And it's going to be seen in evidence. I challenge you in this by the way you're serving other people in that moment. An acronym for joy someone came up with years ago is Jesus, others, you. Just serve Jesus first and others. And then if you have any time, worry about yourself, you'll be full of joy. If you do it the opposite, which most of us do, we like to serve ourselves first, self-serve, you know, and then maybe others and we'll put God in there. Okay, it's not joy, it's yaj. It just doesn't make any sense. It's all messed up. Let me just give you the cure for depression. The cure for depression is to think less of yourself. Not think of yourself less, like, oh man, I'm just such a nobody, but think less of yourself. Or not think of yourself, 
Think, think of yourself less. Don't think about yourself and instead think about others. And I promise you, you're going to find yourself walking like Jesus did. Who in Mark chapter 10 said, I didn't come to be served. Wouldn't that have made sense if God showed up on a white horse? Like, serve me, everyone come serve me. We serve him. Jesus said, no, no, I didn't come to, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. But the son of man came in that fashion. He sends us out in the same fashion. Verse one, we see a different woman. Then Naomi, the mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Naomi rose up in this moment. Look what she says now. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative, the gospel of Boaz? That is this good news. In fact, he's winnowing tonight in the threshing floor. Stop right there, eyes up here. Wow, this would have been a good time of year for everyone in Israel. It's a time of harvest. We don't really understand this because right now when we need food, we go to Fred Meyer's. They always have it. You know, it's just always time, of, always there. You can go to McKay's or Safeway or Costco or you can go to Amazon. We don't under, in those days, if it was a bad season, people died. This was a good season. It's a good time of year, which I think is important when you look at the types and shadows of our relationship with God. Did you know that God's not frustrated right now? God's not upside down. God's not budgeting like, oh no, I didn't plan for all these people. <laughs> he has it all figured out. And when you approach the Lord, like Ruth is beginning to prepare herself to approach Boaz. And so her mom says, okay, here's the deal. It's winnowing season. It's a good time. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses. How many of you guys have weaknesses right now you're just so, so tired of? You're so frustrated with. I wish I could just stop. Why do I like this? I feel so condemned and convicted. Did you know that the Bible says your high priest, he gets it. He doesn't condone it. There's no hall passes, no, no allowances. But he's like, I understand. I love you. And you can come to your high priest receiving mercy and grace and help in your time of need. That's the Jesus we serve. But notice where she meets Boaz at. It's the threshing floor. The threshing floor. She meets him at the threshing floor. Why? Is this just arbitrary? Did this just happen? I don't think anything's arbitrary with the Lord. You see, the threshing floor was a place of preparation and separation. This is where they would take the barley in and all the sheaves and all the sticks and stones. And they would, all, they would do all these things and they would begin to then grind them and thrash and thresh them with animals and separate them. And then the final process, when they had all of the barley and the husks all on the ground, they would throw them high up into the air and the wind would carry away the chaff and then the seed would fall back down and they would repeat this over and over again, over and over again. They're at the winnowing floor on the high elevation there where the Temple Mount is now. This was a time of working and celebration and preparation. Interesting, this is where Ruth is about to give herself over to Boaz. I say all that because I believe there's types and shadows. Now let me just say one thing quickly. When you're studying the Old Testament or even the New Testament and you're looking for types and shadows and pictures of Jesus, that's a good thing, but make sure you're doing it doctrinally sound. You can actually take a type and a shadow and stretch it too far. You ever seen a shadow on a long day where your shadow's like 90 feet tall? You're like, I'm 90 feet tall. It's a good, you're not. But it looks like I'm 90 feet tall. You know, and you can, you can take shadows too far. Bible students, you, know, you can take Old Testament verses and kind of twist them and make them say whatever you want to say if you're not careful. Don't do that. But what we are going to do is look for in this story, types and shadows and pictures of Jesus in our relationship with him as the church, as the Boaz bride, as the foreigner who was cursed, but God had favor on us. And as Boaz 
is there at the winnowing harvest area. Ruth here is instructed, go there. And first thing I want you to do in preparation, in order to find yourself prepared, in order to, as the husk would be separated from the chaff, the chaff was no good. There's in the threshing floor, there's pictures of sacrifice and preparation and presentation. And I got to say that to you and to me, while God is gracious and benevolent, kind and generous, and he says, all whosoever want to be saved, come unto me and I will in no wise cast you out. There also are some things that you and I have to do to present ourselves to the Lord. There's some things that must be threshed out, things that have to be removed. And can I just speak this too to somebody who maybe feels like you're being thrashed right now? Maybe you feel like you're just being the chass, getting blown away and you up and down and up, but my life feels like it goes up and down. What's going on? You know, it could be, it probably is. And I just receive it as a word for Luke for shed. The Lord is winnowing the barley, the good in my own life right now. And he's burning away the chaff, blowing it away. It feels like I'm getting tore up from time to time. Ooh, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. What should I do in response as I get to the threshing floor? She's given, Ruth is given three directives that I believe has some typology for you and me as well. Look at verse three. Therefore, we know where he's at, the threshing floor. Now, what do I do? Well, three things. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Number one, wash yourself. This obviously speaks of the washing of the water of the word of God. That if we're going to prepare ourselves for the Lord, walk together with the Lord, man, you got to be a person of God's word. We're doing this on Sunday. I am so glad that God has called me to be a pastor who teaches through the word simply and simply teaches through the word. And I hope you are also being changed, radically transformed through God's word. The Bible says on Sunday mornings or any morning when you gather like this, that God saves people through the preaching of the message. This is what he does but also that we're washed as we get into God's word in the morning. As we go through the five by five reading program in February, grab the cards. They're probably available somewhere. Read the Bible. This isn't just reading the Bible though, which I hope you're doing. And I hope you're, by the way, if you find yourself a little dirty, your soul's just a little murky, your mind's just a little bit fuzzy, things are just a little bit off. I promise you amongst other things, it will be directly connected to the time you are spending or the time you are not spending in God's word, getting washed by his water. I guarantee you, there's gonna be a connection. Things are out of order. You're finding yourself getting on slippery slopes and getting weird. I promise you, your intimate time with God has been put to the wayside. Not just the water of the word though. Wash yourself, Ruth, before you go meet Boaz. Get rid of the things in your life that are taking you down. The things that are stinking in your life. Don't just get in the word, do that. But you and I both know that walking in this life can get really weird quickly, can't it? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, saw his disciples, his best friends. He said, hey guys, that was a great supper. I'm about to go die for you. But I'm gonna wash your feet first. Why? Because they smell like animal poo, you know? It's gross. You guys are, what are you doing? And, and, and Peter rejected, oh, I don't want to do that. And Jesus said, man, let me do it. And you guys know the story. Let me just say this practically. If you want to prepare yourself and you feel like you're being threshed, and you're being prepared and separated, that's okay. And you want to walk with Boaz, Jesus, even closer. Don't ignore the word, but also don't ignore the stuff in your life that you know is, it just needs to be washed away. Just deal with it. Flush that stuff down the toilet. Delete that things off the internet. Just block that number from your text feed. Stop going to that place of attraction and entertainment. Stop entertaining those thoughts. Take every thought captive. 
Stop listening to that type of music or watching that type of show. Stop talking that way or hanging with those people, whatever. It's, this is just dirty. Wash yourself. But don't just stop there. She says to Ruth, if you're going to go meet with Boaz, wash yourself and then also anoint yourself. Literally in those days, put some perfume on. Smell good, man. You ladies, you know how this works. You guys also, have you been around somebody who just has the perfect amount of perfume or cologne on? Have you been around this? Have you been around the person who's wearing the wrong cologne and way too much of it? Does this happen to you? Happens to me. Happens to me. Perfume, cologne, anointing. It's supposed to speak two ways, by the way. I believe as God prepares us to be used by him to connect with him, that there's a sweet aroma, a sweet connection. We'll call it the fragrance of Christ. But it's also going to be appreciated horizontally. That if you're a believer and you're washed in the water of the word and you're washing away that stuff in your life, there's going to be an anointing. Jesus said this in the New Testament, ask for the Holy Spirit and we'll, you'll, you'll be given the Holy Spirit. You have not because you asked not. What? This anointing speaks of God's power and his filling and his fragrance and his anointing. I love asking for the power of the Holy Spirit because I know in and of myself, I can do no things, but through him, I can do all things. Last night, I spent about a, some time on my knees praying, just praying and studying. And this morning I did the same. And before I came out here, I did the same. Just, Lord, I need you. And I believe then when I stand up, and even if I didn't kneel, if you don't have time, I believe that the Lord anoints and he fills. Anoint yourself, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. I believe she did this in preparation. And then he also said, or she says to her, put on your best garment. Now just imagine Ruth, the Moabitess refugee who was a widow. What was she normally wearing? I don't know, but it probably wasn't too fancy. She was a peasant out, you know, collecting stuff. And she was a widow. She might've even had some widow garbs on still. I don't know. But we do believe that she had in her repertoire some nice clothes, maybe the best thing that she could have. And so Ruth said, put on the best thing you have, the best clothes you have. Now she's about to get married. Okay, this is actually her wedding day. She's going to find herself in the threshing floor with Boaz. He's going to spend the night with her, not intimately, but spiritually. And it's going to secure their marriage. So this would be the nicest thing that she could have to put on. And I believe when the Lord begins to work in our lives, he says, hey, change your clothes. Not necessarily the Levi's you're wearing, but the garments that kind of indicate who you are and what's going on. Because maybe you're a beggar emotionally, or maybe you're a widow relationally. He says, let's, let's not do that anymore. You're now changed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever been so sad, so mad, so bad, so messed up that you don't know what to do? And the Lord says, you could just change your clothes. Spiritually, you could just start worshiping. Oh, that sounds too cheap. Just a, a, change. Well, a change of clothes goes a long way. As a matter of fact, our clothes on the outward appearance kind of indicate a lot of things. Have you ever seen somebody on their way to like a, a painting party or maybe a painter and they're gonna, you, you're usually not mistaken because they're covered in what? paint. I got this one hoodie that I always wear painting. I've had it for over 20 years. And when I wear it, people make fun of me like, oh, I guess you didn't get any paint on the walls. Ha ha. Because <laughs> it's got so much paint on it. Because I've painted so many things. And when a painter's wearing their paint clothes, you know what they're doing, right? So too, Boaz, hey, hey, dress so this guy knows what you're up to. Hey, hey, Christian, who's been changed? Make sure the garments you're wearing, the outward appearance, make sure it indicates and implies what you're up to. What God has done in your life. Again, I'm not talking the apparel. I'm talking our appearance and who we are. I want to be used by the Lord. Okay, well, wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and then change your clothes. Now, let's just keep going in the story here. Wow, I'm so glad we didn't try and do two chapters. You guys are so fun. You're the best. I love you. And here's what it says next. Look at verse 3b. It says, but don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies down and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all of these things you say to me, I will do. Stop right there. Did you know this was the exact way that you were to approach and to apply to a kinsman redeemer? There was a prescribed way. If Ruth, who didn't know this, but Naomi showed her and told her, if Ruth would have done it some other way, listen, Boaz would have been confused. Boaz wouldn't have known why she was there, what was going on. The whole transaction would have fallen off of the tracks. I say that to say this, God has actually given to us a prescription and direction in the text to tell us how we're to worship him, how we're to live for him, how we're to serve him. Most of you are doing this well. Good job, kudos on you. But sometimes in our rebellion, we read God's word and we're like, that's weird. You mean I'm supposed to go to the threshing floor, find out where he's sleeping, sneak in after he falls asleep, lay down at his feet, wait for him to wake up and uncover me, and then ask, and I'm gonna ask him what he wants. That's what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. I ain't doing any of that. Have you ever read God's word and just, you don't have to answer right now. Have you ever read God's words and I ain't doing any of that? I'm not about that. People do this all the time. You guys don't do this, but others do. Progressive Christianity. There's a whole group of Christians out there. They think they're Christians and they read stuff that's a little bit controversial or countercultural. Our culture needs to be countered, by the way. Counterculture. And they say, I don't like that. I don't like those prescriptions or directions. And they say, I'm going to do it my own way. There are not progressive Christians, but there are straight pagans and spiritual people out there who shut the Bible all together and say, I'm going to worship God this way. This is the way I'm going to do it. And they come up with cults and come up with ways and come up with clubs and all kinds of things. And God's up in heaven going, that's not, that's not how you approach me. I gave you instructions. I told you how to do it. And, and I'm speaking to the choir right now because most of us have come to believe like Ruth. Okay, Naomi. I don't know everything, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the next right thing. Because if God's word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I believe that childlike faith will open up doors for you, will honor God. When you just say, Lord, I'm not quite sure what to do. It says here, I'm supposed to forgive and pray for my enemies. Gosh, I really feel like I've been hurt, and I really feel like they've taken advantage of me. I, 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 sheesh, what I'd rather hold them accountable. What I'd rather stay bitter towards them. I'd, I'd rather in the world, I can find a bunch of people that will say to do it my way. But you say, you say something completely different. And I feel vulnerable doing the things you've asked me to do. Oh no, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And when you simply trust the Lord, you don't know what locks are going to open up for you in your life. As you trust him and say, not my will, but thy will be done feels like the Red Sea is in front of me. And, and, and Lord, now what do I do? And he says, just put your staff in it, Mo. Just touch it and I'll provide for you in this next leg of your journey. But we see Ruth here saying, I'm gonna do. Guys, let's just read a few more verses. We've gone this long. Let's see what else happens. Verse six, it says, so she went down to the threshing floor and she did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. She's a DTNRT kind of gal, do the next right thing. 
And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and she lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there was a woman tickling his feet. No, just kidding. Just lying at his feet. He wakes up suddenly in verse 9 and he said, hey, who are you? It's dark in there, obviously. And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. This is exactly what her mother-in-law told her to say when he asked, who are you and why are you here? Take me under your wing. Take me under your cloak. In other words, can you please share your blanket with me? I'm cold. This was a term of endearment. Nothing sexual happened this night, nothing intimate that would happen later, but this was all ritual. And Ruth was giving herself over. I want to be a part of your life. I need you to cover me with your wing. And Boaz, when he heard this, look at verse 10. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after the young men or the, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. And I'm going to have Paul come up and lead us in a closing song. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now the plot twists here. I'm not going to unpack this till next week. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of close relative for you, good, then let him do it. But, verse 13 in the middle, if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives lie down until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. And then he said to her, do not let it be known to, do not let it be known, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And then he held and measured six ephahs of barley and he laid it on her as she went out into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done. And then Naomi responded, These six ephahs of barley, Ruth told her, he gave me. For he said, Do not go home empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he's concluded the matter this day. Stop right there, eyes up here as Paul begins to play and put us in a time of response. Two things I want you to focus on that happened immediately after Boaz woke up. Two things happened. Number one, he accepted her. You're more kind now than you were at the beginning, at the end. To who? Specifically to Naomi. What she was pursuing, this heritage, this bond, this union, wasn't just about her, but it was going to take care of Naomi who had nobody. And when Boaz saw this, he's like, dude, you're... You're a virtuous woman. Everyone in my town knows it. I accept you. I'm going to make this happen. Not only did he accept her, which Jesus Christ has accepted you. You know that? You're in a battle right now. Your life's all messed up. Trials everywhere. Do you know that Jesus Christ accepts you as you are? He sees you as the beloved. He calls you virtuous. You and I, in and of our own works, we're not virtuous. We're unvirtuous. We're unrighteous. Jesus looks at you and me, though, positionally in him. You're now saved by the blood of the lamb. 
and you're accepted fully, 100%. Nothing's going to change that, no matter if the Chiefs win or the 49ers win. It doesn't matter. You're accepted. And then he went on to tell her, he said, hey, you know what? There's a twist, though. There's another guy out there I got to work on. I, uh, don't worry about it, though. He, you know what he said to her? Don't worry about it. He assured her with his word, I got you. This is going to be taken care of. I accept you. And then he assured her. Did you know that the same is true for you in your life right now? You are Christians here this morning. Oh my gosh. You've been accepted by God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. And he assures us in his word that nothing's going to stop his plan. Nothing's going to pluck you from his hand. I don't know what God has next for you in your life. I've got a couple agendas in mind. I've got a couple things I got to figure out over the next decade or two. Hopefully you guys are with me. It's going to be fun. And I want to know that I'm accepted. And I want to be assured in his word. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. Let's stand and sing together, would you guys? Father, in Jesus' name, now we believe that you have indeed accepted us. And we believe that your word, Lord, speaks a better thing. But Lord, you've assured us. And if you're here this morning right now, you need to be accepted by Jesus. Let's just give an opportunity. Maybe you don't know that your life has been redeemed by your Redeemer, Jesus. But today's your day. If you want to give your life to Jesus and make sure that he is indeed your Redeemer, would you right now accept Jesus as your Savior simply by confessing, by raising your hands and, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Anybody need to make sure that you know that you know that you know. Raise your hand right now and say, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Redeemer. I need him. I trust him. He accepts me because that's what he does. Put your hand up. This is between you and the Lord on this day, this February 2024, where you said, yeah, Jesus saved me. Take me as I am. Forgive me of my sins and cover me and assure me with your word. And Lord, you can put your hands down. Would you bless us and minister to us as we sing this closing song? If you need prayer, I want to be on the floor right here. Come get it for me right now or ask the person next to you to pray for you as we sing to our Savior together. Let's worship him.